Well, good morning. It's a beautiful day out there, isn't it? It's not raining. The sun is shining. And we have so much going on in this world around us. But we still have so much to be thankful for and to be very excited about. God is working in amazing, amazing ways these days. People are asking questions that they haven't thought of in years or maybe have never, never thought of before. God is answering prayer, as he always does. His world is not quarantined. And since he's always everywhere at the same time, I guess shelter in place doesn't really matter to him too much. Specifically this week, I am very thankful and I'm again amazed at how God is totally in charge of our preaching schedule here at church. I don't think that we have thought through the interconnectedness in the way that God has shown it to me this week. There's so many ways in which all these last few messages have been connected and the Lord has graciously opened my eyes to see it. It was kind of obvious, but, you know, sometimes we need a little nudge from the Lord. And I hope that, uh, as I've seen it this week, that you will see it as well as we go through today's message. This message is about His story for His glory. First, we studied the book of Ruth. Do you remember a few weeks back where we saw God's plan of redemption? Where Ruth, the Moabitess, she forsook the pagan gods of her own culture to follow the true God of Israel. And how obvious it became that we are not the captain of our own soul. We are not the master of our own fate. The book ended with showing us how Ruth, a Gentile, a Moabite, was a direct part of the genealogy of this coming king, Jesus Christ. And then two weeks ago, we celebrated Palm Sunday, and we saw the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And Pastor Glenn, he showed us from John chapter 12 so much more about our king. He showed us from the scriptures how Jesus will come again in power to rule and to reign as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And then last week we celebrated and we rejoiced because of the bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first fruits of all who will follow, each in his turn, as God alone can and will accomplish. Jesus was raised again to life, defeating the last enemy, death. And he left a testimony of those who witnessed his appearing firsthand. Remember, we read that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all of the apostles. Now today, I want us to continue following that rough timeline, paying particular attention to the last things that Jesus said and did before he ascended back to heaven to sit at the Father's right hand. 
Now we could actually spend years studying all of those little intricate details of those 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. But I have the task of keeping it to 30 minutes. So follow along. To help us along in that whole thing, I've uh, tried to put all the passages that we're going to look at onto slides so that you can follow along quickly with them as we go through. Maybe there's some of you out here tuning in that have not tuned in before and you don't have a Bible in front of you. Well, follow along on the slides. First, we're going to start by setting the context. Let's look at Matthew 28, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he laid. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. As we studied last week, Jesus rose again and he told his disciples to go to Galilee where he will be with them. He appeared to them there, but he also had many other post-erection appearances that you can read about through the scriptures. And we'll read a few of them today. Uh, we're going to look at a few passages of Scripture and see what's included in it for us today. And we're going to start now again with Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So a few things I want us to take notice of in this passage. And we're just going to skip through like a skipping stone through all of these passages. First, he reminds us that he predicted all of this. His death, his burial, his resurrection. And he reminds them that they witnessed it all. Secondly, he told them that it's God who opens our minds to understand the scriptures. I know in my own life how many times I heard the gospel over and over again. But until the Lord opened my mind, I didn't understand it. And when he did, oh, how wonderful it is. Thirdly, he commands them to go then and proclaim his message to all the nations. And pay attention to this word, nations. This is important. 
Fourthly, here we also see that he reminds them that he's sending the Holy Spirit to give them power to actually obey this command that he's leaving them. So now let's flip over in Matthew 28. We're going to read verses 16 to 20. I hope you're tracking on some of this stuff that's connected from Ruth to the triumphal entry to the resurrection. And now, during the post-resurrection days, Jesus bodily walking around and talking to people. This verse says, Now the eleven disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So just a couple of things I want to point out here. Take notice that Jesus, he calmed their fears. There were doubters there. They were doubting what was going on. But there were those who didn't doubt, who were less skeptical. He told them he has all authority and he will be with them always, even in this work that he's calling them to do. Secondly, he's leaving his church a command for them to make disciples of his among all the nations. You notice this word again. Now the last passage I want to share with you is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So I'll read this through and follow along. In the first book, O Theophilus, This is Luke writing the book of Acts. He's referring back to the first book, the Gospel of Luke. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to him, to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now let's add a couple of more points to our list here. At this point, they obviously still did not understand 
that the kingdom of Jesus was a spiritual kingdom, not a political one. He wants to rule and reign in the hearts of men before he comes to rule bodily in the last days. Their understanding of the scriptures and their power, he said, would come by the Holy Spirit and not through themselves. Thirdly, after they received the Holy Spirit, they must start at Jerusalem and then go to the end of the earth with his message. And what's at the end of the earth? The nations. He is coming again, just as they saw him go. The first time he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's from Luke 19.10. But at the end... He's coming to judge the living and the dead. He will rule and reign. And that's from Acts 10, 42. So what did we see throughout all these passages that I just read? Hopefully you're tracking with me. Do you want to see these? Okay. Thanks for asking. I'm going to share four things with you. I'm going to share the what, the where, the how, and the who. First, the what. Jesus told us what to do. We are called to be disciples that make disciples. Teaching others to obey all that he commanded. And that's a tall order, no doubt. But we're going to see it clearer as we move on through this. Next, the where. Well, in general, we just read in Acts, it tells us to the ends of the earth. But more specifically, we saw in Matthew and in Luke, Jesus told us to go to the nations. Now comes the fun part. If you spent any time around me, you've heard me talk about this. <laughs> this is what makes me click. The word for nations is actually the Greek word ethnos. This is the word where we get ethnic group from. Jesus is telling us, that it's not that we are to make disciples of every living person. Although that would be great. And we should be about that every day. No, he's given us something more focused. It's a smaller, in some ways, a more doable assignment. It's his strategy. His strategy for us to go and proclaim the gospel to all the ethne, all the ethno-linguistic people groups of the world. And that when the church is established in those groups, they as local believers then will continue the work of making disciples within their own cultural setting. When this is accomplished, Jesus says, then the end will come. We see this in Matthew 24, 14, where Jesus is talking about the end of the age. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. See it again? The ethne. And then the end will come. We are to go and proclaim the gospel. The good news of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection to every ethnic group in the world. The rest is Jesus' job. He will call out his church. There are currently about 196 countries in the world. Those are geopolitical entities. But within them, 
There are about 16,000 people groups in the world. About 7,000 of them are still unreached with the gospel. But about 3,000 of them have never ever even been engaged with the gospel. We call those unengaged, unreached people groups. That means that there are a little over 2 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus. And they do not have anyone around them near enough to tell them about Jesus. About 95% of those groups, they live within the 1040 window. If you don't know what that is, that's between 10 degrees and 40 degrees north of the equator. We've been talking about Chad. You've heard us talk about Chad. Chad falls within the 1040 window and it has about 70 of these unreached people groups within him. If you take a look at this slide, on the one side you see where it looks like, I think it's on your left. I know it's on my left. Anyway, you see all the countries of Africa. Those are the geopolitical entities of Africa. And on the right is how Jesus speaks of them in the scriptures. He's talking about the ethno-linguistic groups throughout the continent. It's a very different picture. And it's a very different task. So I ask you, how will they hear? Third is the how. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can empower the believer to do what Jesus commands. Acts 1.8 says, we must be filled and led by God's Spirit in order to accomplish this task. Well, you might be thinking that I mean something like the force. Everybody thinks about the force these days. Or some mystical power that comes on you like a strange manifestation of magical power or something. No. That's not what I'm talking about. Why God, he could do that. I'm really talking about the spirit that fills us and directs our desires to actually be the same desires as our Father, as God. And to obey him in being vitally involved in his strategic mission. He will also give us the wisdom in how to plan and how to execute his strategic plan. We have to ask him for it. It's his strategy to reach all the ethnic groups of the world and have some of each of those worship him forever. Revelation 7, 9 through 12 talks about this. This will happen. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in her hand and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I don't know about you, but that gives me chills. It's a glorious picture of what's going to happen. In the end, fourthly and lastly, the who. Not the rock band, but the people he is tasking with this work. It's his church. 
Jesus has commanded us, the church, to proclaim the gospel to every people group in the whole world. And then the end will come. That's his plan. That's why he created his church, to complete his mission. John Piper recognized this and he said, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. He said that because he saw in the Bible that the glory of God's name and the worship of him is the ultimate plan and purpose of God. He wants people from every tribe and tongue and nation to worship him because he alone is worthy to receive it. Now, you might think that's pretty egotistical. But think about it. If God is who he says he is, then it's purely just a statement of fact that God, and only God, all the time, in every generation, is the only one worthy to receive our worship. So, how are we doing with that. Let's take a look at this video and see. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of his return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population World C. C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now on to missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So, we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right. The vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. 
what about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion. And together, they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything. Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? Less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that $700 billion given to all Christian causes, only $45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from the church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work. But how exactly is it allocated? Well, $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep, 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. $5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year, those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. That leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all missions money, going to World A, the least reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than get sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force, armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. 2 billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that? So, World A, how are we doing with that? Cedar Crest Bible Fellowship Church, how are we planning to be a part of God's strategic plan? Well, there's, there's still so much to do, but we're working at it. Every good plan starts with the end in mind. The focus that comes from establishing a strategic plan that knows where it's going and where it's going to end up, well, that has a much greater chance of being successful. You've probably heard this saying from Zig Ziglar. Other people have said it too. He said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Well, I think we're aiming at something. And we're taking God at his word. And we are aiming at one people group at a time until the whole world hears. We want to see that scene in Revelation 7 that I read about. We want to see it come to pass. People from all tribes and tongues falling on their faces and worshiping our great God. I praise the Lord for what he's allowed us as a church to be involved in. We were able to see at least five different people groups in East Africa hear the good news that Jesus Christ loves them. He loves them so much that he died to save them from their sins. The indigenous church now in Tanzania is now poised to take on that task completely on their own within their borders. So now we must move on. We are to embark on a new phase of God's plan for Cedar Crest Bible Fellowship Church. Why? Because the Lord has laid this task upon us. And we need to be as motivated as the Apostle Paul was. He says in Romans 10, 
Listen to this, verses 13 to 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Not too long ago, just a few weeks, you sent a survey team to explore those possibilities in Chad. And just those few weeks ago, we got back just in the nick of time before the airports closed. Take a look at this short video report of that trip. Hi, Cedar Crest Bible Fellowship Church and greetings from Chad. My name is Justin Claremont and I am the AIM Chad unit leader here. Uh, first off, I want to say thank you to you all for sending uh, this team of guys. Just first off to say we had a wonderful time together, drove over 2,000, almost 3,000 kilometers together on the roads here in Chad. They were great to have along. We had a wonderful time. Uh, but more importantly, on top of that, had a chance together to see the different needs uh, that are here in this country. Um, we're in the country of Chad. Chad is a Muslim-majority country, and yet God has kept the doors open here for us to come in working as missionaries. We can walk into this country with missionaries stamped on our visa and can freely go and share the gospel throughout all the corners of this country. Um, on this trip specifically, uh, we had the opportunity with uh, these four guys to go visit three specific strategic sites, uh, those being Masakori, Abdi, and Masenya. Uh, these are three towns uh, in Chad uh, where we as AIM are specifically trying to target the people that are found there. And the first one being Masakori is the Kanabu people, a people group that's estimated around 750,000, of which at this point we know about a handful of believers. Um, uh, there is a small church in this town made up of non-indigenous people uh, that's there, that's waiting to be taught, discipled, mobilized, given the vision to reach out to all those that are around them. Um, at right there, at right now, at present, there is no gospel that's happening in that location. Uh, but one of the amazing things is the local governing authorities uh, are wide open to us being there. Um, in our time together, we were able to meet the local sultan, which is uh, the traditional leader, along with the mayor of the town, along with some other leaders, all of whom said, you guys are welcome. Please come. Please come and, and, and be English teachers. Please come and help teach us at our cultural center, sports and drama and theater and uh, music and pretty much anything that we are able to come with. Um, the local church even has a small little school where the majority of students are all Muslim kids um, and they would love to have someone come and be an English teacher or help teach Bible stories in that school. Um, that's Masakori. Huge need just two hours up the road here from Benjamina, all on the tarmac. Um, and we drove almost a thousand kilometers across the entire country, passing several other places along the way. Um, it's a place called Abdi. This is near the eastern border towards Sudan, um, where we currently have a lady named Dr. Ann Ferson, courageous lady who's now been based there just several months. Um, this is working amongst the Maba people. This is a people group between four to 500,000. Uh, once again, amongst them, we're looking at maybe a handful, maybe 10 to 20 believers uh, amongst this people group wide open doors there once again we have once again a small local church who is not reaching out made of non-indigenous people there but once again doors wide open 
uh, wide open to do agricultural work, to do medical work, to teach in the local schools English. And once again, these are all Muslim peoples that are inviting us and saying, we want you, we want you, we, we, just, we just need help. Uh, they fully know that we are Christians coming as missionaries, but they, they're welcoming us there saying, we need people to come help us. And it's through activities such as teaching and medical work and, and agricultural work that um, it's through that that we can build relationships and begin sharing the gospel on top of whatever small body of fellowship is there really cast this vision. We want to we want to build the national church. Drove back a thousand kilometers across the country here towards the capital and 160 kilometers back east, southeast, the place of Masenya amongst the Barma people. There's a people a little over 100,000. Um, Masenya, though 160 kilometers away from the capital city. Um, poor town, not a whole lot available, and yet once again we find a small local church there that made up of non-indigenous people that needs help. Um, they need help reaching out to people around them. We find a local teacher's training school where we have Christian young men and women who are in this teacher's training school, and we look at it and say if we could mobilize these people, give them the vision for, for missions and reaching out to neighbors, then they're going to be sent out all across this country. But the bottom of people themselves there, local people even said, these people are open. They're willing to hear the gospel. They just need to hear it. And their fear is of their own people. They accept it, what's going to happen to them. So three areas um, where right now, there are needs in all three of those. We need missionaries coming in each one of those places. Um, so appreciate your guys' prayers as we continue to move forward as AM Chad. As you guys as a body, think about where God might be leading you. And uh, ask that question, is God leading you guys to be involved in reaching the unreached in this country? The doors are wide open. We need people. And so I just want to say you guys are welcome. And we hope to see you guys here in the future. God bless. Thank you guys once again. This is the third missionary survey trip that Cedar Crest has done. We started in 1988, another one in 2006, and now in 2020. You might be thinking, why? we do this. God tells us in the Great Commission that we are to go to all the world, preach the gospel. We are to make disciples of Jesus Christ. He has a heart for the nations. He wants the nations to worship Him. It's, it's throughout the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation. And when you see that, you get excited about what God wants to do around the world to draw people to Himself. We definitely saw that there was a need there. There are over a million people between the two people groups that we have kind of narrowed it down to that still need Jesus Christ. They were really excited for us to come alongside them and help with educational and medical opportunities, which shows us that there's such a grand opportunity for us to go to Chad in this moment. And by meeting their uh, physical needs gives us an opportunity then to meet their spiritual needs, and that's what we truly want to do. I'm excited to be a part of this, and our church to be a part of this, in reaching these tribes for Jesus Christ. I realize that God has been working here in the Lehigh Valley with some of our people from Cedar Crest. I watched Alex befriended by people in Chad. I've watched uh, little kids flock to Fernando as he got out his soccer ball and realized there's so many gifts and so many ways God's been preparing our people to go and work in Chad. So how can you be a part of what God is doing around the world? You can pray. You can give. You can mobilize. You can go to be obedient, to bring honor and glory to our Lord. Well, praise the Lord. We went there looking at a list of about seven different people groups, and the Lord allowed us through a lot of prayer, 
um, and much conversation and uh, much experience to narrow that down to two people groups. And we've reported that to the, the outreach committee and the elders. And the elders resolved that we would go starting with the Kanembu people, which number almost 800,000. And then maybe to the Maba people, which number about 450,000. Just those two people groups alone, that's 1.2 million souls who have little to no gospel witness to them in a way that they can understand it. So I ask you again, how will they hear? We must go compelled by the love of God. And we are planning to send some of our people to the Kanembu to join a team there starting in 2021. Lord willing, and as the Lord provides, more team members will attempt to send a second team to the Maba people. Oh, how do I say this? If your heart burns and you get excited and you are thrilled about the opportunity to cross language and cultural boundaries to preach the gospel where it has never been heard before. Oh, I want to hear from you. Call me. Email me. Text me. Any way you can get to me to let me know what God's doing in your heart. And I will make every effort that I can to get you to where God wants you to be. Whether he wants you to be there or here. Whether it's across the street to your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus or around the world. To those people groups who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now God's not calling everybody to go. But he is calling everybody to be involved. So for the rest of you, you may be called to support this work. We need you to learn more about your role as being a good sender. We need prayer warriors for those that are going to go. We need faithful senders. As the Apostle John told us in 3 John, verse 8, he said, Therefore we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers of the truth. Partners, together. We do this together, all of us. And finally, to mobilize all of our resources to accomplish the work. It's not called the Great Commission for nothing. As Paul says in Romans 15, 20 to 21, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. Praise God for that. I want to end with this quote from Pastor Kevin DeYoung of the Gospel Coalition. He said this, The need is great. The commission is clear. And Christ is worthy. Pray with me. Oh, Father, we thank you for what you are doing in and through this church. And Lord, would you help us as we endeavor to check off one people group at a time. Lord, if we all did that throughout the Christian world, world C, world A, we get reached in a moment's notice. Lord, we thank you for the clarity of your word 
It's so clear from Genesis to Revelation that you have a heart for the nations to come and to bow before you and to worship you throughout eternity. So Lord, we thank you for your strategic plan for the nations, for the ethnos, for the unreached people groups of the world. And would you use us for the glory of your name? And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.